Well, welcome to Grace this weekend, everybody. It's, uh, it's good to see you, and it's fun that some of us have regathered uh, in person here at our facilities, and that others of us are gathered here online. And like uh, Josh said, it's so uh, fun to, to be together and see each other again, but it's also important that we're together even on an online experience. And so I want to affirm to you that what we've been offering here these last few months, we're going to continue to offer indefinitely. So if you're not quite ready to hang out with folks yet, uh, then just continue to hang out here. And uh, we'll continue to have groups and teaching and worship online and continue to interact and connect in this way. So thanks for joining us, and, and uh, it's exciting uh, to be together. Uh, this week, I want to continue, in some ways, the conversation that we started last week, and we started talking about what's going on in our country and in our culture, and we talked a lot about justice and mercy and, and how that all plays out in the, the heartbeat of not only Grace Church, but the Church of God in general. And so this weekend, I again, I'm going to talk specifically to those of us who are Christ followers. And if you're a Christ follower, I'm going to walk you through kind of exactly what God says is to define us and to direct us as the people of God. And so we want to really look at God's Word and get our head around that. If you're not a Christ follower yet, uh, then what this conversation will do is define for you what you should expect from the people of God. And when you don't see this or experience this, then you're not seeing or experiencing the heart of God. But when you do see what we're going to talk about and experiencing it, it's to help you know who Jesus is and what he's like and what you can expect from, from him. So we're going we're gonna dump to in, jump into this conversation. It, it's a fascinating thing. As, as some of us are, are coming together a little bit here in person, we're kind of coming off of our social media uh, platforms, right, so to say, and we're going back to work and back to the office and the kids are interacting again and now even the church is gathering together uh, in person. Uh, a lot of what's been going on in our country is going to kind of play out in real time in our relationships with each other. Uh, the church of Jesus, the family of God, is not immune from cultural pressures. We're not immune from personal opinions, and we're not immune from political points of views. All those, of course, affect us as individuals, and we think about those things, and we have opinions about those things, and, and we have perspective and history about those conversations as well. The question I want to wrestle with a little bit today is, as I kind of take my, my personal experience— uh, everything from this is my family upbringing, this is my culture, this is my background, all the way over to like th these are my political points of view and, and what do I think about what's happening in the culture or what I wish would happen. As we bring all of that kind of into real-time relationships within the church, how is the church, the people of God, uh, how are we supposed to be organized? How are we supposed to interact with each other? How does all that affect our relationships with each other? And what roles does all that play when it comes to our relationship with Christ and then our relationship with each other 
and even the community around us. So what would God want from his church and how would he want us to, to process through these ideas? You know, when you look at the scripture, the scripture is really, really clear that as a Christ follower, my citizenship is not rooted on earth. The Bible says that as a Christ follower, I, I am called out. I become a, a citizen of a, of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. I even become a member of a different family, the family of God. So as a Christ follower, that's a big deal. And that's, that's to affect our thinking and our perspective a lot. Long before I would think of myself as an American, I would think of myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, before I would think of myself as a, as a Democrat or a Republican, I would think of myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Even above my culture and race and creed, I would think about myself as the chosen people of God. The Bible will even talk about things like our age. Before I would think of myself as an old person, a middle ager, or a young person, or a, generation, a generationally classified person, I would think of myself as a son or daughter of God or a brother or sister to the people around me. So this citizenship and the shift in it in our thinking is actually a big part of how we understand the scripture. And it's a big part of how God lays out his expectations and his desires for his people. Uh, Jesus would say, I want you to be identified in these ways and the resulting effect of that identification is really what my church should be about and what we should give ourselves to. He says it this way in the book of Matthew chapter 14, Jesus talking to Christ followers, he says, listen, who are you? You are the light of the world. That's, that's who you are. You are the light of the world. You're a town, or the old translation says city. You're a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, uh, 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 light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That light, my church, my people are to give light to everybody in the house. We would say country, culture, everybody around us. And we are to do that on purpose, that we shine our light before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus would look and say, this is a big part of who you are. You are light, you are to shine. In fact, you're to be a beacon or a city on a hill so that the culture, the country, your family, your school, your workplace can look at this collective group of people and say, well, they're different. They're defined differently. They think differently. They prioritize differently. Their love of and acceptance of and embrace of each other sets them apart from kind of these strongly identified groups, which is a big way of the way that our culture would work today. That there's a love, a respect, an embrace that comes from the people of God 
and that causes light to be shown, and that light, as it illuminates the people around us, then causes Jesus to be understood. Now, this is a really, really big deal, right? Because our culture needs light right now, desperately. And Jesus says, my followers are that light. My followers, my church, is the light that those around us need. The culture needs light. We are that light. And our good deeds, our desire to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, our desire to denounce what is sinful and embrace whatever is pure and admirable and right and noble, our willingness to love and sacrifice and learn, those good deeds cause us to function differently. When we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly with our God, it sets us apart not just as a person, but as a group, the church is that light. The church is that beacon or city on the hill. And the church and the good deeds of the church, the people of God, provide light to the people around us. Now, God talks about this a lot. And he says, he says in his word, I actually created my church. I called my people. If you're a Christ follower, this is you. I called my people to this vision and this mission. In fact, I crafted them in this way. If you've got your Bibles, maybe grab it or use your phone if you want and go in the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a passage where God would look and say, this is what I'm talking about. Let me explain it using this metaphor. He says this. He says, just as a body... Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. And then he says, Imagine, Paul says, imagine if we didn't function this way, what would happen? If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the, the, the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, ready? This is huge, ready? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While, we, while the presentable parts need no special attention. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. 
so that there is no division in the body, but that its parts should, be, should have equal concern for each other. If, ready? If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. So Jesus takes this idea of being called out of like our individual roles, right? I'm not just an American. I'm not just a Democrat. I'm not just a Republican. I'm not just a, an Ohioan. I'm called out of my individual roles. He says, I form you into a city or a town. You are a beacon of my heart and my mind. And then Paul brings in this other metaphor and he says, that's not just by accident. Like that is the crafting of God God forms the body, each and every part of it, and the body needs each other in order to represent the heart and the mind of Christ. Look again at what Paul says here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as, one, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We're baptized one spirit form one body, whether Jew, Gentile, slave-free. We were all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part but many. Paul's leaning into this idea. And he's saying, we got to understand this. God has assembled the body, and we function together as one. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Because when Paul says that we are one body and we're to function in unity, he's not saying that we have to function together in uniformity. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Everybody better agree with what Pastor Jeff says or you're not a part of the body. Everybody better like what Pastor Jeff likes or you're not a part of the body. Everybody better have the same backstory and history that Jeff has, or you're not a part of the body. The same political views of Jeff has, or you're not a part of the body. That's not the church. That's a cult. Paul is not saying we have to have uniformity. He's saying we have to have unity. That when we come together as a body, we come together as individuals. I can have a political view that someone else in the body doesn't have. It's fine. I can have a, a cultural background that somebody else in the body doesn't hold. That's fine. I can be of a different race than someone else in the body and be of another race. That's fine. I can be a different age, a different generation than somebody else in the body is of me. That's fine. Those things do not have to be in uniformity. What they are not to do, ready? Those individual things are not to supersede our unity. That even though we're individuals, and even though we have differing viewpoints and hopes and fears and backgrounds and all the rest, our willingness to love each other our willingness to learn from each other, our willingness to embrace the diversity of the body builds our unity. And my unity comes from Christ. 
that in Christ, I have something about me. I have something that's bigger than all of my uh, individuality. And that is my unity through Christ, one spirit, one baptism. I put it this way in my notes. The only point of uniformity that the body of Christ is to have is our declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his word, the Bible, defines and directs our life. That's the only thing that we have to lean into. You can like Michigan, I can like Ohio State. You can grow up in poverty, I can grow up in wealth. You can be a Democrat, I can be a Republican. You can be white, I can be black. We do not have to be unified in those ways. The uniformity comes through Christ and worship of Christ, yielding to Christ, and we as individuals placing ourselves under the authority of Christ, that's where the unity of the body comes into play. In fact, in a different part of the scripture in Romans, the apostle Paul talks about this. He says in Romans chapter 14, he says, except those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He's saying this, he's saying, when we disagree, when someone thinks that a certain way and someone else thinks a different way, he's like, that's fine. That's not a big deal. We don't fight about that because that matter is disputable. See, it's disputable. Most politics are disputable. Uh, issues of morality are not disputable because God's word is clear about that and we would unify under that. But taxes roads, policies, very disputable. Cultural backgrounds are disputable matters. I view the world this way, well, I view it this way. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, neither. We're different. And so we don't, we don't fight about that. We learn from each other about that. We understand and even prefer each other in that. And the list would go on and on. I'm of this generation. Well, I'm of just this generation. I view the world through this generational lens. Well, I view it through this generational lens. Well, are you just an old codger or you're just a young, dumb person? Or is that a disputable matter that we learn from each other? So Paul says, we don't fight about that, not in the body, not in the church, not in the city on the hill. We don't fight about that. In fact, we do something different. We say that we make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. If I don't understand you and you're my brother or my sister in Christ, I make every effort to understand. If I don't, if I don't get where you're coming from, I don't get in an argument with a brother and sister in Christ and start trying to shout each other down on Twitter. I sit down with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do you see the world this way? Okay. And then vice versa. Well, why do you see it that way? We make every effort that leads to peace and mutual edification. The reason I have this conviction is because God laid this on my heart. And I want you to know about my passions. Well, I have this conviction because God laid this on my heart. I want you to know about my passions. We don't fight we don't quarrel. We edify and prefer and live at peace with each other. And Paul says this to the body now. He says, listen, 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That's the disputable matter. It's the example he used there in Romans. He's like, wait a minute. We don't destroy the work of God. What's the work of God? To, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to be salt and light, to be the beacon on a hill, the city on the hill. We don't destroy the unity of Christ. We, we don't destroy our relationships with each other over a disputable matter. We would do the opposite. We would, we would rise above all of those individual things and we would unify around Christ. Now, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Ready? Those individual things are important. And those individual things are God-given. But they are not to divide us. They are to unite us as the people of God. And guys, right now in our culture... This is the problem, that our individuality divides us. Well, this is my race. Well, this is mine. Well, this is my cultural background. Well, this is my cultural background. Well, this is where I am economically. Well, this is where I am economically. Well, this is my political view. Well, this is mine. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. Well, I'm a Gen Y. Our individuality is dividing and at times dividing the body of Christ. When God gave us our individuality to unite us in Jesus, all of the things that would divide us in an earthly sense are to unite us in the church, right? Why? Because we're children of God made in his image for his purpose, called out by him to reflect him to the world around us, to give light to those in the room. God created race. And race in the people of God is not a dividing factor, it's a uniting one. When I see you and understand you and get my head and my heart around you, I see and understand God on a deeper level because I see a different aspect of him than I would see in myself. God created culture. When I experience culture and I, and I get my head around why you would value this or why I might value this, I'm getting a deeper and a broader expression of who Christ is because he's reflected in your culture and he's reflected in mine. And as we morph that together and unify that together within the church, we present Christ more clearly. God tells us, tells Christ followers to honor the generations. We don't look at each other and say, well, you're just a boomer or you're just a dumb kid. God would say, no, 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 that's not meant to divide you. That's meant to unite you. When the zeal of youth is combined with the wisdom of age, the church becomes a powerful force for change in our world. It's not meant to divide. It's meant to unite. And God addresses that and steers that in his people. Even economic issues 
the Bible would in essence say God creates the wealthy and he creates the poor, that, that he blesses both. And Jesus is the one who said the poor will always be with you. So what, what do we do with that? Do, 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 the, do the disadvantaged just covet and want what the advantage have? Do the advantage, are we just selfish and greedy and deny those? Jesus would say, no, no, no. You have the opportunity to bless each other. Paul says in another part of the Bible, what I want is equality. I, I want those who have more to give to those who don't have enough. And then I want gratitude. He commends one of the churches in the New Testament. He says, man, they gave above and beyond what they were able to give because they wanted to be a part of the work of the kingdom. These individual circumstances are not meant to be divisive. They're meant to be unifying. That doesn't mean that we can't be who God created us to be. It means that I and my life and my story and my background and my age and my economic status, I am not the whole representation of who God is. God is the one who created the diversity. God is the one who created the different backgrounds. God is the one who gave us each our individual story. And as I learn that and I embrace that and I engage that, not only am I getting to know a brother or sister on a deeper level, but I'm actually getting to know God on a deeper level. And all of that shows up in the church and it's God who wants it to show up in the church. This is what Paul said, again, 1 Corinthians, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God is the one who mixed the Democrats and the Republicans in the church. God is the one who mixed the old and the young in the church. God is who mixed the races in the church, the cultures in the church, the male and female in the church. He did that. And he did that on purpose. He wants his church set up that way because it's the clearest glimpse of who he is. It allows us not just a, an opportunity to love and an opportunity to care, but it allows us to see different aspects of who God is and what his heart and his mind is. And he placed the parts every one of them, the rich, the poor, the old, the young, all the races, all the cultures, just as he wanted them to be. It is God's desire that the church is a place that is mixed up with a bunch of people. And it's God's desire that those people learn to love and care for and celebrate and, and even enjoy the differences in each other. So what happens is this. When the church fails to do that, see, when we fail to act and we fail to recognize the diversity or we fail to recognize our own hypocrisy at times, when we fail to do that, the light on the hill that is meant to illuminate the room is put out. It's put under the bushel. Because our individuality is outweighing 
the redemptive work of Christ in us. It is a tragedy and a sin when there is racial division in the church because we are one body. There is no division in us. We are one body. And when I allow that division or participate in that division or ignore that division, I'm striking out against the heart of God. It's a tragedy when cultures are not celebrated in the church. And it's a sin. It's good when somebody has a different background and different perspective because it allows us to understand God on a different level. They're created in His image too. So if I want to understand His heart and mind, I want to understand those people differently. It's a tragedy and it's a sin when the generations don't respect each other in the church. The scripture is clear that the older generations are to provide leadership and wisdom to the younger, and the younger generations provide zeal and energy to the older as they learn. We don't resent each other. Look and say, those old people need to get out of our way or those young people are trying to take over. That is absolutely against the heart of God. Because God would be very clear in the scripture that the blending of those generations is where the church is absolutely at its healthiest. And the same is true economically. There is always, the poor will always be with us. And so there's always going to be people in the church that need financial help. And there's always going to be people within the church who are able to provide it. And that's not because someone is being denied something or somebody stole something from somebody else. It's God who brought all that together so we can illustrate love, illustrate gratitude, illustrate blessing to one another. And when this unity is broken and our individuality is outruling and outweighing our corporate identity, the city on the hill is not shining the light that it was created to shine. This is why the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12, so that there should be no division, none, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. I look at you, I love you, you look at me, you love me. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part of the body is the object of racism, the whole body owns that, grieves that, works for justice with that. If one part of the body is economically impoverished or in trouble, the whole body feels that. The whole body responds to that. If one part of the body is being mocked or put down because of their age, or being ignored when, when Paul specifically says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. The whole body reacts to that. We react in a unity because there should be no division but equal concern. When one part, if one part is honored, every part rejoices. If, if you hit a home run economically, we all want to celebrate with you. If you get a special award or special recognition, there's not to be jealousy or envy or covetousness in the church. We all look and say, isn't that exciting what happened to our brother, our sister, our family member? 
Now we are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Bible says that, that you are the family, you are the holy nation, you are the royal priesthood, and you are a part of a city on a hill, a light. You are the light of the world and a light that our world desperately needs. When you think about this idea of being light, I, I wanted to play with this for a second, just to kind of double drill it into our minds. So I got a lamp, and uh, what I did was I took this lamp apart, right? So here's a lamp. This lamp is meant to be a light, but I disassembled it. So this is what Paul's saying about the body. He's like, you know, can the hand say to the foot, I don't want to be that? So can, can the cord say to the stem of the lamp, I, don't, I just want to be the cord, I don't want to, of course not, right? What, if, what if, if the ear says, I don't want to do this, where would the sense of hearing be? So can the light bulb say, I want to be detached from the socket, and, and I don't want anything to do with that? And, and of course not, they have to work together. When you disunify the lamp, okay, when you disunify the lamp, I, I want you to get your head around this for a second. When you disunify the lamp, the end result of disunifying the lamp is not simply that the lamp is broken, because the lamp's broken. It's disunified. Here's the socket. Here's the bulb. Here's the base. Here's the cord. The tragic outcome of disunifying the lamp is not just that the lamp is broken. Ready? I want you to catch this. Catch it. Look at me. Hear me. The tragic outcome of disunifying the lamp, ready, is that there's no light. There's no light. And there's no ability to produce the light. The point of the church is not simply that we all get along. That's a byproduct. The point of the church is, is not that we speak with one voice. When it comes to Christ and His Word, yes. When it comes to other things, no. The point of the church is not uniformity. The, the, the lamp does not exist so that the lamp is set up correctly and it's uniformly assembled. That's not the point of the lamp. The point of the church is the light. The point of the lamp is the light. It's not just the construction and the existence of the lamp. The real tragedy is the darkness and the darkness that creeps in and the darkness that takes over and the darkness that causes division and disunity and dishonor to God. The reason why the people of God are the light and that light is set up on a hill, it's put on a stand so it gives light to the room, it serves as a beacon to the town, is because people can't find the truth, the way, and the love of Christ in darkness. They need light for that to happen. Our country cannot solve its own problems. That's very obvious. 
We cannot legislate our way into loving each other. That's very obvious. We can't even hardly have a conversation right now. That's very obvious. Darkness. And in the middle of that darkness, God has placed the church to serve as a beacon, as a light, as a place of hope and truth. Ready? Catch is so important. Catch it. Ready? And as we overcome our individuality, as we ask forgiveness for our sin against God and against each other, as we love and accept and embrace, as we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, as we do justice, love, mercy, and walk in humility with God and with each other, the light illuminates. The lamp is put together, but more importantly, it works. And it serves the very function that it was created for in the first place. Guys, this is a powerful opportunity. It's a powerful opportunity to be light. And our unity, our oneness as the people of God is what will amplify that. We need to run to Christ. Run to Christ. And where we've harbored something in our heart, sin in our heart, we need to repent before God. We need to run to each other. And we need to embrace and, and love each other. Maybe repent to a brother or a sister, an older, a younger, someone of a different race, different background, someone of a different economic. If we have sinned against or harbored toward a brother or sister, we need to correct that immediately. And we need to run to our world. But we do that individually. It's not young people taking up a cause and old people just sitting around, maybe paying for it. It's not one group of people saying, listen to us, and another group of people saying, I don't know what to do with that. We run to Christ, we run to each other, and then in unity, we speak and we shine the light that God has called us to shine. Maybe right now, God has something on your heart that you need to ask forgiveness of. Maybe there's hints of racism that you've recently discovered. Maybe there's broken relationship. Maybe you're a young person and you resent and disrespect older people. Maybe you're an older person and you resent and disrespect a younger person. Maybe it's political and you're much more vocal about your Republicanism or your Democratism than you are about what Christ has done in your life. Whatever the Holy Spirit has on your heart right now, would you take that to Him? And then to each other, to each other. If you see someone of a different culture, a different age, a different race, and you don't know that, go to them, tell them that, just be honest. To say, we go to church together, we don't know each other, I'll buy the coffee, can we work on this? And then to our world, the Bible specifically says we're to pray for those that we love and we're to pray for those who are our enemies. 
And long before my political views or opinions would dominate my mind, the compassion, the mercy, the love, and the truth of Christ would be there. And maybe right now you go to God and you intervene, you intercede for those that we see around us who are far from Him. We are the church. We are one. We are formed by God. And we're placed on that stand and on that hill to bring light to a lost and hurting world. Jesus, love you. Help us in this. Holy Spirit, convict us. Show us. Illuminate. Renew our minds. Help us to see or to understand what we wouldn't have or haven't before. Help us to be quick to forgive to act if we have felt offended, to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, I need to talk with you. But God, today, in a powerful and special way, would you help us to action and function as your people, as one, in unity, with no division, being the light to the world that you've called us to be. Empower us that way, even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.